0: Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Just a reminder as always, sign up for my newsletter at jasonpereira.ca. So on to today's show. Today on the show, Roland Chand, CEO of FineBob. FineBob is an online transition platform that enables advisors and firms that employ them to better facilitate their succession planning and better transition their practice to another advisor in order to ensure continuity for them and their clients. And with that, here's my interview with Roland.
1: Hello, Roland. Hey, Jason. How you doing?
0: Yeah, good. Thanks for taking the time during the COVID crisis of sick of quarantine that we're all in right now. First off, really good to see that your business is still around. Uh, <laughs> not that it's at a risk, but no, <laughs> it is what it is. So, uh, a band of Fine Bob, tell us about Fine Bob.
1: Yeah, Fine Bob, we're the transition management company for the insurance and financial services industry. We help uh, large insurance and financial services enterprises encourage better transition behavior. In their distribution networks.
0: That was a very technical way of helping say that you help people sell their practices to other people.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I think that's uh, funny, you know, and I'm sure we'll explore this a little bit later on. That's certainly what we're known for and when mm-hmm. we came to market back in 2014, it was sort of this M&A marketplace. Yeah. And uh, where we evolved and what our discovery was is that there's so many Aspects of the transition journey that need to be supported, and so where that's still kind of what we lead with, it's it's almost like a Trojan horse nowadays. We go in with M and on the mind, and then we help with a whole whack of issues with respect to transition.
0: So let's talk about that experience. So yeah. you start, you know, an advisor gets set up on your platform. Let's talk about how that is direct through a um, through an RIA, through a broker dealer, through an MGA, whatever it is. How does that work?
1: Yeah, so before we even approach advisors or the agents in any of those enterprises that you mentioned, the first thing that we'll actually do is we'll work with the enterprise to help them predict which are the advisors or agents that are at the highest risk of loss okay. and who has the biggest impact of loss within their, within their network. And then we'll start inviting some of those high-risk, high-impact agents or advisors to that marketplace. And we'll start by asking them, a series of questions very similar to how we engage our consumers. What are uh-huh. you interested in? Is it buying, selling, merging, continuity, finding or becoming a successor? And as they onboard onto the platform, um, not only will we ask them questions about their business, so you know compensation mix, product mix, all the things that you would expect, but we also start asking them some interpersonal and psychological questions. And then for those that are interested in M&A, we, we certainly have a marketplace to help them discover opportunities in-network within that broker-dealer, within that carrier or large distributor. But perhaps most importantly, I think where we've come a long way is we also provide a whack of practice management education. So you and I were talking offline about, you know, valuation. So we provide valuation tools to help agents and advisors discover or better understand what the value of their block is. And in addition to some of those practice management sort of uh, flourishes, we also provide MA tools to help them get past the sort of N- NDA stage and accelerate right into the deal-making stage with advisors on the opposite side of the market.
0: Okay, so let's talk about those tools at the earliest yeah. stage. Right, so what are you providing them? They get signed up. What is it that they're, that they're seeing on their platform, and, and how is this enhancing their business?
1: Okay, so this problem of lack of continuity and succession. it became apparent- Do so we have any
0: stats to- on that? I mean, I've, I've heard them in the past. Yeah. So like, how many advisors out there or sure. advisor practices out there actually have a succession plan formally in place?
1: Yeah, so 83% of agents and advisors don't have a written actual transition plan. I believe that's a, a cerulean number. And 90% don't even have what we call a business continuity plan. So that's that what-if plan. What happens in the event of death, disability, retirement, or loss of life? So so as I an advisor done. who's
0: got all those and is, is still on the younger end of the spectrum, that kind of makes me happy. Uh, yeah, opportunity for me to buy, but but continue. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. And I think you you certainly uh, are are an outlier. And Jason, you're someone who I'm I, I'm sure looked at it as a growth or marketing opportunity. You know, which is something that we try to encourage. But yeah, so let's say you're you're someone who Um, onboards onto the platform, doesn't have a business continuity plan. The first thing that we'll try to do to to help stimulate some activity is provide some education on, hey, why don't you take this business continuity goal? We'll educate you on different aspects of business continuity, come with some actionable steps, and then we'll help you not only put together a business continuity plan, we'll help you file an actual agreement either with your dealer or with your MGA. And then Not only that, but we'll we'll help you implement the plan by giving you a safe and secure way to have key relationships in your personal life, activate or unlock the plan if upon any of those triggering events. But that's a very specific business continuity Mm -hmm. use case. But then, you know, there's so many aspects to that journey that also require additional education, like valuation that we were talking Mm -hmm. about earlier. So for those individuals that are trying to understand what are the different approaches to valuation... What is the current value of my book of business? Then we provide a series of valuation reports. We will provide them a discounted cash flow or income-based approach, several market-based approaches, um, including rule um, you know, multiples of revenue or multiple of cash flow. And we're not trying to replace um, the role of a chartered business evaluator or, or an accountant, but what we're really trying to do is help prepare advisors for when they're ready to put either a business continuity plan in place, or maybe they're pursuing a transaction to better understand the nuances of valuation. So they can better either justify the value of their block or help qualify uh, the price of a block that they're interested in acquiring.
0: Okay, So let's take a step back before we go to some of those pieces. One of the things I didn't sure. ask, you we, we got caught up with something else. Tell me the origin of this company. What led yeah. you to start Find Bob?
1: Yeah, so my initial career wasn't in uh, financial services. And my father approached me after experiencing a, a bit of a health calamity in his life about transitioning his business over to myself. Um, and so he ran a, a mid-sized insurance and investment shop in the GTA, over $100 million in enforced premium, 120 active advisors. We have over 60,000 clients. And during the course of operating that practice, I really fell in love with the business became a mature life underwriter served on a number of uh, industry boards but then what happened unexpectedly was that one of our top producers someone who had been with us for about 15 years prior to my arrival on the scene died unexpectedly uh, without a continuity plan without a succession plan he was like the dentist with bad teeth, right mm-hmm, and yeah yeah the shoemaker's son yeah and so that had a, a bit of a Impact on myself uh, professionally and personally. It took me a year to have any of the value transitioned over to his wife and their girls. And by the time that happened, especially on the wealth side, 50% of the asset had eroded. And it was either because clients discovered he didn't have a plan or other agents and advisors, many who worked for me, several who attended his funeral, started poaching clients from beneath him, So clearly a cascading effect, right? Wrote the value of his life's work, left his family in the lurch. I lost some assets to attrition. The manufacturer, the product lost some assets to attrition, but perhaps most importantly, nor is obligation to the consumer. And so I had a duty of care as did he. And so I embarked on this journey before I even picked up, you know, my keyboard uh-huh. and tried to inspire my advisors to start establishing continuity succession plans. And so the first version of Fine Bomb was a spreadsheet. I would walk around the office and I would basically run illustrations for my network of advisors and say, this is what your practice looks like today with no plan. This is the value if you put a continuity plan in place. This is what it looks like if you attract a junior associate to transition your block over the next five to 10 years. And that in and of itself stimulated or was the catalyst for some activity. And I thought, you know what, maybe I'm onto something here. And so I put my hat on back in, my software hat back on, I should say, back at the end of 2014. And I started developing what was that initial version we were talking about at the outset, which was this marketplace, right? And so I thought I had the, the cure for all the industry woes. Fast forward, almost six years later, we're still trying to figure that out, but we've made a lot of progress along the way.
0: It's interesting. It's, uh, you, you, hit, you hit a bunch of triggers and stories I've seen before, but I mean, one of the things I always I talk to other advisors Every advisor likes to talk about their business, yet how many of them actually treat it like a business and act like business owners. And that That's is right. a very, yeah. very minor few. Yet. Meanwhile, a lot of these guys are being coached to go out and go after business owners as clients and offer ancillary service, like continuity planning and everything else for their clients, but ask them to look in the mirror if they've done it for themselves. And the, again, now we're in the stats of the vast majority of where, only a rounding error is actually done it. The loss of clients thing is, is interesting. Do you have any statistics around that, out of curiosity as to how that works in the average book?
1: No, well, I certainly don't have statistics on what the average book will look like if in the event they don't have a continuity. Um, I would probably say that, you know, if 90% don't have business continuity plan, it really depends on sometimes, especially even in the insurance world, the nature of the vested contracts that you have. Where yeah. is that revenue going to go to in the future? But- what I will say though is, just like our clients who don't have wills will die intestate, those of you who don't have a, a continuity or succession plan that are listening, you too have a plan, and it's called attrition. There's a great stat that was put out there by, I think it's FP Transitions, and there was a another outfit I, I can't recall right now, but it was they were talking about workweek trajectory, and so. Many advisors and agents, they think, you know, I'm going to wind down and like ride this thing out into the sunset. But what they don't realize is once you dip below that 30 hour work week, especially if you have a retail wealth block, that's when attrition sets in and you start seeing an accelerated departure of AUM from your block because you're no longer physically present. Maybe you're serving the top 10 20% or quartile of your of your block but the the lower end of your block isn't getting service and they're starting to recognize that and they're starting to move their, their business elsewhere
0: i get that it's funny uh, one of the one of the best stories i ever heard on this subject was i can't believe it or not client was at the the funeral of the advisor and goes up to the wife, says, I'm sorry for your loss, but you know what? I want you to know something. You don't have to worry about me. I've already found another advisor. I've transitioned my business to them. <laughs> and it's just like, first of all, I, I get where they were coming from, but there wasn't a thought, you know, in their world, they're making sure that they're alleviating a burden of doing something, right? In our world, it's like, wow, there goes three times your annual revenue that is no longer going to the estate. So yeah, yeah it's uh, it can, it can be pretty devastating, especially because you're yeah. like, nothing is, you're right, attrition is the plan. And that's that's not a plan. That's,
1: that's no. Just, that's how you lose yeah. a battle. And I love your comment too, Jason. And it's something that we certainly want to be sensitive because um, we have so much respect for the work that, you know, advisors and agents do in our industry and in society. But to your point, the vast majority don't have or were never taught to build enduring businesses. For lack of better expression, we're really just glorified sales folks, who are really fantastic relationship people. And we're, to your point, again, have been encouraged to, you know, sell more service more, but never really taught like sort of like Bindus fundamentals, you know, we're, yep. we're also focused on cash flow, we were never taught concepts about equity building in our practices, let alone, you know, even more sophisticated or nuanced practice management. Issues like succession or continuity. So, you know, we really are yeah. just like the vast majority of small, medium businesses out there.
0: i say we're actually worse. Prepared. And I'll tell you a yeah. story. So, I often get other advisors come to me and say, you know, I got, my, I got my act together. You know, I'm pretty, my business works pretty good. But, you know, what, what is it you do to professionalize? I said, let me just give you my test. How often do you look at your financials? To which I usually get silence for a second, <laughs> where they, they basically shamefully admit, well, my, my account hands them to me when I do my taxes. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not how Apple runs things. Like, If you can't study the expenses and the revenue items of of your business in real time, you're telling me find another business owner, any business owner in any kind of large-scale enterprise where they can just ignore the financials. That's just not a real thing. So if you're going to act like a business, like a salesperson, and not take responsibility for your business, you're just setting yourself up for, again, your succession plan, which is attrition. And it's interesting because it doesn't have to be like, what you're doing is the best version of this. And we'll get to the, the tools for that in a second. But I mean, I have even come up and told people, at the very least, come up with a buddy system. Let your heirs know that your spouse or whatever it is, know that anything happens to me, the second I am declared dead, you pick up the phone and you call this person. And you know what? We've worked out some sort of arrangement on price, whatever it is, but that is the person I want my business to go to, right? And right. just something as opposed to maybe the spouse knows the you know, other advisors from a cocktail party or a conference and has no idea where to turn. And it's interesting because my dealership has a, uh, actually has, uh, I remember, a, a default policy on what would happen if you die without a succession plan. And they would market your business, but the longer it took to sell, the lower the price you would keep because they were maintaining over and over again for for whatever longer period of time. So let's talk about how you ease and grease the wheel. So you talked about basically valuation. You talked about, bench. I take it, you provide benchmarking on how their practices look to other practices. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so we'll do that in network. So let's say it's a dealer or an RIA. We'll compare their practice um, against other users or advisors that are on the platform in addition to comparing them to industry uh, benchmarks, uh, including top performers in their industry.
0: Now, you're providing with any kind of support regarding KPIs and how to enhance the value of their business. I mean, succession, having a succession plan doesn't make make it more valuable because it becomes a more of a known known in terms of in terms of what the price is going to be, what the what the escape clause is going to be. But in terms of other KPIs around running their business, is there any kind of guidance on how to maximize value there?
1: Yeah, so we definitely from time to time will provide uh, additional education either in the form of uh, events for enterprises surrounding some aspect of uh, practice management to improve certain KPIs. We have a feature that's actually embedded directly in the platform called goals. And Mm -hmm. so we might have a a goal on how to increase revenue by client. Mm -hmm. And so inside that goal, we'll have a series of actionable and measurable steps there might be a, a short CE presentation at the conclusion of completing the goal, um, they'll receive maybe their CE certificate. But perhaps most importantly, one of the things that we're trying to do in this sort of ecosystem around practice management and transition is we share some of that intelligence back with their home office because it's important for them, just as it is important for you, the practitioner, to understand where they can interject and be more supportive. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, we're providing talent intelligence mm-hmm. on you and what's important to you in real time—not so Not that it's just on a shelf, but we're trying to deliver it based on your KPI. So for instance, your revenue per client happens to be in the lower quartile compared to your peers. We'll suggest that goal You take that goal, watch the CE, get the CE certificate. But in addition to that, now the home office can provide maybe some ancillary support when they're doing their talent review and looking for different ways to support you out in the field.
0: So then when time comes to finally sell the business or find their dancing partner for the sale, what is it you do to, first of all, facilitate the acquisition or the finding of the dancing partner and then get them to close?
1: Yeah. So... We provide the marketplace, as we mentioned earlier, uh, for advisors that are on both the, the buy and the sell side. But for more serious sellers, what we provide is something called the deal room. And in the deal room, we'll start by focusing on one specific type of deal. And that'll either be continuity focused, succession focused, or maybe an outright sale. And What we'll then proceed to do is have them build out a digital teaser or a confidential information memorandum, provide us with some criteria on what it is their non-negotiables are, and then once they publish the deal, we'll give them the ability to research possible transaction partners on the platform that were suggested to them automatically by our matchmaking algorithm. And so the recommended transaction partners will all be based on their specific transaction mandates. And then once they've evaluated those recommendations, then they can start inviting other advisors to view that confidential information memorandum or that deal teaser. And then once they've reviewed them, they can select the ones that they actually want to invite to their deal room. And so when they're invited to the deal room, then the next step will be to respond to some of those knockout questions or those non-negotiable questions that they've provided. And once they've responded to those and then there seems to be adequate fit, then we'll accelerate them to the NDA stage where they'll be able to execute a blind NDA and once that's been executed, then we will advance them into what we call the negotiating stage. And in the negotiating stage, effectively, what we'll do from that point on is we'll provide them with deal support or specific to the type of deal room that they, they build. So if they're interested in some sort of m and transaction, then we'll help provide them with support, maybe direct them to valuation experts. We might provide them uh, sample legal documents like asset purchase agreements Share purchase agreements and even earlier, we might provide them uh, letters of intent, for example, and then provide really helpful suggestions all along the way. And then we'll open up the negotiating tools like our virtual data room. So they basically have a centralized place to deal with all these prospective buyers And for the more serious buyers, once they've advanced to that negotiating stage safely and securely, then we'll give them sort of supplementary support as well. And then all along the way, what we try to do is provide white glove service. So we have a dedicated customer success team. Again, we're not business brokers. We're not being compensated on the sale of a practice or on the acquisition of a practice. Our go-to-market strategy is to partner with the enterprise who are paying us and are effectively subsidizing all of the support for agents and advisors. So I only mention that because generally speaking, our success team is really meant to be complementary to the incumbent to help support these very nuanced transition goals that uh, the advisors have. That's kind yeah, I mean, of it in a nutshell. Sorry.
0: Yeah, okay. So, a couple of things come to mind. First of all, I'm a little bit yeah. disappointed there's no swipe left, flight right functionality to your platform. Uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we we do have that. So, you know, we- have swipe left. All right. <laughs> uh, we do. So, it's funny you mentioned that because the, the deal room tools that I'm referring to are are really encapsulated in what we call our closed marketplace functionality. Mm -hmm. But we have open marketplace functionality. So let's say Jason's interested in, you know, you're a sophisticated buyer, let's say, or you're a sophisticated seller for that matter, even though there's fewer of those. And you're not interested in using all of the, the tools that we provide to help kind of streamline the process. You effectively maybe have your own team Maybe you're dealing with a business broker, maybe you have your own accountant, legal professional, you, you know what you're doing effectively. And so from that perspective, we do provide sort of that direct sort of a one-on-one networking capability that is effectively a swipe left, swipe right.
0: Just got to build that actual swipe in there. Uh, uh, so <laughs> yeah, you're, exactly. more, you're, you're more eHarmony than you are Tinder. So that said, uh, good. So I mean, frankly, and it makes a lot of sense that at large scale enterprises are basically looking to put you out to their advisors because it's not just a continuity issue to the individual advisor and their family; it's a massive continuity issue to the um, to the dealerships and custodians and RAs that are basically making revenue off those advisors. So uh, yeah, it's it's a big gap.
1: You're bang on there. Like for from a couple of perspectives that we came came at the market in this way. I think last year JD Power came out with a study, and it was nearly three percent of advisors are going to be retiring each year for the next ten years. And some of those firms are actually risking nearly half a billion, not in AUM, in revenue each year, Man. annually, <laughs> in and, each year, each year. Wow right? That's a half, half a billion dollars. And and those, and that's um, for those firms that have, you know, north of 5,000 and advisors respectively. But they really have a stake in this issue. And the other reason why we approach the, issue, the market in this way, is that we understand that no one's going to fix this for themselves. I can't remember what's that. I don't know if you listen to talk radio, but there's that one diet company that they're always saying, you know, if you could do this for yourself, you would have done it already. Well, it's the same thing for agents and advisors, right? And so, it's going to take a collaborative approach, whether it be industry, whether it be the enterprise, the advisor, technology partners like myself, people in in the media. We all have to kind of work together to drive forward change to affect this this really massive problem that ultimately is a fair treatment of consumer issue. So, yeah, they definitely have a stake in the in the problem, and um, we're glad to see that. Many more are starting to take notice. The progressive ones, anyway.
0: Well, I mean, the ones who are actually fearful for their lives. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, right. So, before we wrap up, there's three questions I asked everybody. uh, Just kind of get you thinking and and get your views. But the first one is: if you had one wish for something you can change in the industry, and yes, that could be that everybody takes succession planning seriously. What would it be? They already give you your answer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Okay, so you asked me that. yeah,
0: let's do that the other right way. Which is, if you could, have, you had one wish for something you could change in your industry, or in the in your company, or just the, the the environment as a whole. What would it be?
1: I wish our industry did a better job of promoting the value of advice. One of the things that I I often see, I've raised venture capital, well, I've been to so many uh, events, I've talked to so many you know quote unquote disruptors in both fintech and insurtech, and there are so many conversations going on surrounding the future of of advice. And that future, according to many of these technologists, according to many of these venture capitalists, suggests that brick and mortar advisors, who we know make up the bulk of financial services distribution in North America, for that matter, don't have a footprint in the future of that Mm -hmm. advice. And They're largely using the fair treatment of consumer movement to argue that we should be displaced. And so if I had a wish, I wish that when these conversations are taking place, that not only are industry championing the value of advice, but I wish more advisors and we had more representation. So I guess I'd probably be remiss in thinking that we'll be able to make any headway in this area yeah, but, but I, here, yeah, I, I, I've
0: heard this argument many times, right? And it comes down yeah. to they really have a lot of times. I can't remember, these are guys that were typically not in the industry, they're coming out from outside technology, and to them, it's a process issue. And absolutely, I, I'd say I'm thankful yeah. to them for coming in because they have made the industry finally take technology seriously and start putting things like digital onboarding in place and, and getting the, the hard, heavy lifting work digitized. Fantastic, yeah. but they they seem to really just think that the only thing we do is sell. And I remember that no greater example of that than Wealthfront, who basically is like mission is to destroy advisors, and that's not that's not going so well in the last couple of rounds. So it was a press release about something that they released, and Michael Kits has said something to the effect of further proving they have no idea what it is we actually do with our time. <laughs> they released this, right? Which is which is exactly right. I mean, it's um, I'll contrast that entire uh, conversation with a conversation I had the other day. With a do it yourselfer who had contemplated working with an advisor and gone again and didn't do it. And this guy's someone in his 30s who's done quite well, and he's just putting himself into an anxious grave early over just what to do in markets like this. And he's like, I know instinctively that the smart thing to do is just to deploy the assets like in a balanced portfolio and leave it alone and don't look at it, but I'm really having trouble executing on that. It's like, show me the algorithm that fixes that for that. right? Like, exactly. You know, people break stuff and, and people break your model every time. So I agree with you. I think that, but you know what, in fairness, we deserve it because yeah. too often the industry the players in the industry who hold themselves out primarily as their value proposition is product distribution. And until the vast majority of the industry changes to actually not only professionalize their advice and raise it to the level it should be at, but also hold it out as the primary value proposition, it's going to be a problem.
1: Yeah. Amen, Jason. Amen. And (laughs) so
0: (laughs) I go on my rants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So second question I have for you, what's been the biggest challenge in getting the company to where it is today?
1: I would say the biggest challenge is, you know, we started off, Insurance move before moving over to retail wealth, but I would say in both um, verticals with our long enterprise sales cycles, that's certainly the the <laughs> biggest challenge. You know, I think and I, I laugh that's not, because
0: man, that is like a, that is like a like a stock answer, whether it's on air or off air. Yes, long right? enterprise sales cycles. My God. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, if because we're in B two B, and if we're dealing with you know distributors or smaller uh, RIA's or broker dealers for that matter, then it's not as much of an issue. But once you start getting into these publicly traded sort of large enterprises, then not only are you dealing with sort of the the typical trying to find uh, the correct person and navigating and mapping to, you know, the right stakeholders and economic buyers, but then you're dealing with every quarter they're having organizational uh, redistribution and, you know, you're having to effectively resell in many cases to the same enterprise over and over again. So I would say that's probably the The biggest challenge, but then I think when we we do find that right individual, we've been really effective and it's taken us some time, certainly, to help build like a robust business case, right? To help align sort of, you know, what it is that we're doing, be able to demonstrate what the, the rate of return would be. What the ROI would be, net present value of working with a company like us, and ensuring that we can demonstrate payback in a reasonable amount of time. And I, I'm speaking out the side of my mouth because I'm, I'm thinking about a, and a couple of occasions where, where we've done that. And then, and again, you know, there's been, well, I can even think of, you know, even just this pandemic. You know, we had some opportunities that we're working on. And then, you know, after several. So
0: I'll I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I do like your long-term staying power simply because demographics are your best friend right now. And uh, the the firms who are maybe not taking the pictures seriously, um, there will be a point where they learn their lesson the hard way, very hard way. So it's, uh, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, this is not an immediate revenue generator for them. So why are they paying attention to it? But
1: yeah, um, for sure. it's,
0: It's one that's going to, it's, it's one that's going to basically, keep that, that flow of capital, that flow of income they've already paid for, like, present, so. Yeah, uh, yep.
1: and you know, and, and I think without being insensitive, certainly to what's transpiring in the world today, what we're focusing on, certainly through the pandemic, and I'm more than certain as we, like, transition into the recession period, is how we can continue to support and enchant our existing customers. And I think the thing that we're, we're doing a lot of nowadays is focusing on business continuity. You know, I think here in Canada, the MFDA, IROCK, CLHIA, OSTI have all issued notifications to distribution reminding them about business continuity. And you know, for many advisors, I think they think that business continuity is being able to Zoom call with your clients from home. <laughs> That's not business continuity, right? No. It, not only do you have to consider sort of catastrophic events, pandemics, but you also need to ensure that you're addressing loss of key personnel and the founder of your practice for that matter, which in most cases, because 90% of us are sole proprietors, that's you. So I think now's as important time as any to focus on business continuity, and it's effectively why we built the company. So I do feel like the timing is is now to help usher in an age of advisors who really are taking seriously Things like business continuity and and making sure that not not only that they're top of mind because it's been top of mind for years, but mm-hmm. we're providing really actionable things that they can do in a way that allows them to continue to work on on driving business forward as well. Yeah, so, it's interesting. It's yeah.
0: nothing like a health crisis to make uh, to make people remember the mortality and. It- it's interesting because um, I mean anything related to uh, estate planning in the during this period has been going through the roof. Uh, yeah. and then in addition to that, uh, anything related to insurance is going through the roof. Except if you're over a threshold whereby they can't get the medicals done, in which case then you're SOL and you're waiting around till this is over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yep.
0: So it's it's it is it is interesting. It, uh, when when these weird world crises happen, whether whatever it is, it uh, it does make people a little bit more fearful for their future. But it's uh you know, take it and make it a positive thing. So that said, uh the last question I ask is what is it that excites you the most about what it is you're working on and gets you up every morning to keep working on what it is you're doing?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think I've always been excited about our mission. We really wanna ignite this transition behavior, not just in Canada. We're already um, expanding into the U.S. market, but we believe that this is a really an international problem. Uh, it, it's a mm-hmm. fair treatment to consumer problem. And that gets me up every day. But what's been getting me up every day more recently, not only am I, do I need to ensure that I'm still continuing to lead my team, continuing to support our customers, but it really is this whole issue of business continuity. I, again, I, I want to be super sensitive to kind of what's going on in our world today, but this, I think, this health crisis certainly will be the catalyst for many advisors. You know, not only that, but I think we were talking off off air about the number of advisors that are approaching us to help support them with an exit to their business. You know, so I think for many of these practitioners who have been on the fence with respect to continuity, succession, or selling, this is really the time where we're going to see maybe a, a mad rush to help drive these plans forward. So that, I think, in the in the short to near term is what excites me. And in the long term, you know, we have a multi-generational roadmap. You know, there are so many things that we think we should be experimenting with to help move the needle forward and all of these different aspects. You know, we do a lot of fantastic work behind the scenes from a transition management perspective. We have like a really robust sort of CRM-like uh, tool to help the enterprise or the home office not only move deals through the funnel, but help them quantify and project and forecast how many assets they're going to help protect on an annual basis. And we really just want to iterate over that. So you know, there's a lot in the pipe, but I think laser-like right now, it's really about what can we do to be helpful in this pandemic? And when we come out of this as an enterprise, if, as a startup enterprise, you know, I need to make sure that we're hitting all the right notes on what's still going to be important to our enterprise customers when we come out on the other side on the recession. Because, you know, what was largely important to some of our customers and prospects prior to the pandemic is gonna greatly change on the other side of this. So
0: Great. Well, Roland, thank you very much for taking the time. I'm sure that we'll enjoy this. Now you're going to air a little bit after, well, you're going to be airing in June. So God willing, we're outdoors by then. Uh, (laughs) But uh, for those of you who, but if we're we're not, it'll definitely be uh, more of a session. So thank
1: you yet again. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Love the podcast. Thanks. Cheers.
0: So that was my interview with Roland Shand of Fine Bob. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope if you haven't started thinking about your succession planning that you start doing so regardless of age. Anything can happen at any time and you're only protecting your clients and your enterprise value for your beneficiaries. So until next time, I'm Jason Pereira. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care.